Alrighty, well, you know, obviously, start of a year, it's always good to take stock. It's always good to just take a moment and um, reconsider our lives, how we've lived the previous 12 months. And, you know, if there's anything, you know, if we've got any smarts about us, then we will take the opportunity to review our life and then make change. Otherwise, we'll just continue to live the same way. And so start, the start of the year is a great time, not just to review our life, but to actually, with the friendship of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, to actually say, God, make a change in me. I want to take the good that, that you've built into me of the last 12 months. I want to take the, the wonders, the kindness, the grace, the forgiveness, the stories of your kingdom breaking through. I want to take all of that with me and I, and I want to step in with bringing all that with me. I want to step into the future of 2017 that you're breaking in over me. I want to see my life go from, as the scriptures say, of an increasing glorious reality of God. We go from glory to glory. We go, there's this measurable incremental reality of walking with Jesus. And we want that. So this is a good opportunity for you today. To actually stop and go, God, glory to glory, bring the change, bring the increase in my life, bring that dynamic change. For those of you who have um, trekked here at the vineyard for a while, you'll know that um, our statement of being together is a simple statement, and it's a statement with these two phrases, to love God wholeheartedly and to love people unconditionally. Now, that is a fantastic vision and mission and aspiration from the heart of God for a people of God. The trick is walking it out, <laughs> staying in that posture of loving God wholeheartedly and loving people unconditionally. Yet, that's what God's called this church, this vineyard church, this part of his body, this little local group of believers to actually be a story of to the rest of the world. That when, when the, the rest of the world looks at the story of God in this place, they go, you know what, those people, they just love God wholeheartedly. And those, those people there at the vineyard, man, it's a story of God because they can love people that are unlovable. And they can even love each other. Such is the grace of God on them. And such is the vision and the heart and the prophetic edge of who God has called Vineyard Pine Rivers to be. And I think that's just an amazing thing to give our life to in being a follower of Jesus, to tell the world a completely different story. So here we are at the start of 2017. It's a good time for us to stop and ask ourselves, well, if that is who God is calling this, this body of believers to be, wholehearted in their love for him, and, and unconditional in their love for each other and for those around them. How, how are we going at living out this heart of God for us? Now, when I ask this question, we can often hear it through that lens of, oh, no, I'm not doing enough for God, or I've got to do more, or I've got to somehow need to get myself more activated, or I've got to, you know, dig deeper, or... No, 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 no. Just take all of that that you're hearing running around and just, just, just bench it. Just tell it to be quiet and bench it. Okay? Leave it all to the side. 
And instead, I invite you to begin to a fresh journey this year of wholeheartedness is not fully relying upon ourselves, but rather it's fully relying upon God. Now, and, and it's not about, you know, um, um, you know, active, if I, if I could just make enough active confessions of my true identity over myself and speak positive speak and, and just keep doing this over my life and trump that out and make sure I'm wearing myself out doing that. Forget all of that. Abandon yourself. Abandon yourself to God, to his love, to his sustaining power, to the fact that he loved us enough to send his son, that his son loved us enough that he would give up his realm in glory and take on flesh and make his dwelling among us. And that through his life of love and obedience to the Father, he would take upon the sins of the world. Rely upon him this year. Rely upon the grace of God this year. Don't, don't, don't rely upon your, what you think you know, your smarts, your wisdom, and, and all this self, and even your self generated, you know, better visions of yourself. Dump that. Abandon yourself to Christ and who he says you are and who he has made you in his love. And come alive to the fact that we are image bearers of God. Are we fully wholehearted? Are we reliant upon God's love this year as we start the year? Are we fully trusting that actually, you know what? Jesus makes you and me okay before the Father. He even makes me and you okay in front of each other. Completely acceptable. Whether or not the other person nearby chooses to acknowledge that, as far as the Father's concerned and Jesus is concerned, you're completely acceptable to each other just the way you are. And learning to love and celebrate who God's made us to be. There's a bit of chuckling going on in the air. Are we fully trusting Jesus and relying upon the fact that he's made us okay? Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace that we now stand in. Are we trusting of this grace? Are we leaning deep into this grace? Are we trusting and reliant upon the fact that, that Jesus actually deals with our sin and restores us from being slaves to sons and daughters of the living God? Are we reliant upon this? Paul, I love Paul's stuff in Romans. You know, Romans 6, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that that body that was ruled by sin might be done, done away with and that we would no longer be a slave to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. You know, sometimes we've forgotten who we really are and what grace is all about and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus invites us at the start of another year. He actually invites us to, to the experience and the, the reality of letting him be king, of letting him rule and reign. The time has come. There's a you know, Mark, Mark, the gospel writer, uh, you know, he, he, in his first chapter, 
he puts this opening statement of, hey, it's time. The time has come. He draws a line. He makes a profound statement of chronology. He says, no longer is it that time. Now it is this time. And this time is the time that God has said there's a new king in town and his name's Jesus. And he's here as a good representative of the father. And he's here to establish the reign of the father like it was always meant to be in the earth as it is, even is in the heavens. Are we relying upon the fact that Jesus actually is the king? Or do we still like to wear our crown? Have we not discovered yet the joy and the power of the life of being a son who serves his father's business? A son who serves his father's business. You know, I, I, I love the, um, the, the account where Jesus is at, you know, does his first miracle. He's at the wedding and, the, and, the, and they're having a great wedding, uh, but they run out of, the, out of the good stuff. They run out of the wine. And so, so Jesus' mum, she gets in his ear and says, come on, son, sort it out for him, fix it up. And he's going, oh, look, it's not my time yet. And then, all, and so, but she pushes him a little bit more, and, she, and then she says to the servants around the place, "Here, go and go and do what he says to do." And she gets them all busy. And so, in the end, the servants they go to these big, deep um, vats of water, and they draw water from them and fill the pitchers. And as the pitchers are poured, there's this wine that comes forth. And as the wine comes forth, the people of the party are saying, "Hey, you saved the good stuff till now." You saved the good stuff till now. Yeah, the time has come. And the servants of Jesus, the response in that account is awesome. Because it says, it says the servants knew. The servants knew where the wine came from. And then at the end of that, it also says it was there that Jesus first revealed his glory. Where did he re reveal his glory? Through the hands of the s servants who know what the Father's business is about. The glory of God is manifest and released through the life of being a servant who knows his Father's business. And we're busy about that. It's a great time to stop, to recount. You see, even before this year has commenced, and we're already, as Scott prayed before, we're a week into this thing, and there's, it's already picking up pace. It's already picking up pace. It's already picking up agenda. It's all the diaries filling. The phone's starting to ring. The holidays are over. It's picking up pace. Businesses are starting to go, oh, how are we going to pay that? How, we need new business. We need more clients. Businesses, it's picking up. It's picking up. Pace is starting to come. But before we've even gotten a week out of the gates, there are so many realities there are so many circumstances, relationships, and situations where right now we are already making advanced plans that we haven't consulted our Father about. We're already shoring up measures to minimize cost. We're already shoring up securities so that things don't hurt. We're already putting in buffers to maintain and protect ourselves. And we're only a week out of the gate. We've still got another 50, what, 51 of these to go. We're only a week out of the gate, and we're already sh trying to shore up, protect, and minimize, and do everything we can. 
without consultation of our, our Father and his great joy to bless our life. Jesus said, hey, in John 5, 17, my Father is always, he's at work. And he's always at work for, for his people, particularly. And I want to pay close attention to that this morning. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up to 2 Chronicles. I'm just going to quickly flick through there. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 1. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 1. Now, um, let me just give you a little bit of setup here so that you can get the story. Now, here's the situation. God's kingdom on the earth, uh, his nation, is, is divided at this point in time. There's a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. Okay? So there's, and they've got a king in each kingdom. And they're ruling and reigning. And, uh, and um, if you read all through Chronicles and the books of the kings, you see this king did a good job and then the next king did a terrible job and then the next king did a great job and the next king did a terrible job. And like his father who did a terrible job, the next king's son did a terrible job and then all of a sudden another king comes along and does a good job well right now the king we're going to read about is one of the kings that started doing a really good job he was cleaning up the mess of the previous kings and he was sorting things out and making people's and the nation's life postured right and healthy before god again so we've got two kingdoms kingdoms going on here and the king of the southern kingdom who we're going to look at today his name is asa ASA, ASA, Asa. And he, for the first 10 years of his reign, it was peaceful. It was peaceful. There was no wars. There was no um, internal scurry or, you know, going on. It was a peaceful reign. And, but then all of a sudden, uh, at the 10-year mark, um, this army called the Cushite army, they started to make a push, a push for uh, Asa's kingdom. And so Asa goes to war and he lines up his nation. It's only a small kind of kingdom and he brings about 300,000 people to the, or troops to the front line. So he's got his 300,000 troops at the front line and what he does is, is he prays. He, may, he's, he, he prays his prayer. He says, this, now this is a little bit, in the lead up to 2 Chronicles 16, in 14, he prays this prayer. He says, Lord, there's none, no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. So you can understand how Asa sees himself. We're just this little powerless group, oh God, <laughs> who you've asked to be your kingdom. And there's this big invading kingdom about to smite us. But here we are on the front line. We've turned up, but he says, but you, God, uh, there's no one like you because you help the powerless against the mighty. So he's speaking the character of God to God, knowing his own you know, view of himself as well and his nation. He says, great prayer. Have you, ever, have you ever prayed this one? He says, help us. Have you ever prayed that? <laughs> That's biblical, man. You, just help us. That's a great first prayer. I, I, my, mine is similar to that. Mine is usually, oh God. <laughs> when it feels like it's all big, it's all too much, and it's all advancing in, oh God, help us. What a great prayer. Write that one down. You can take that one home and pray it. Just pray it. 
help us. Help us, Lord our God. And here's what he says. For we rely on you and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are God. Do not let the mere mortals prevail against you. The, the story goes on. It says, The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah, the southern kingdom. And the Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them. Not only did they fly, you know, have the win, they got up the gumption then to actually push forward, really push forward beyond the, the line that was theirs of where their ter- territory began and ended. Well, not, the Cushites ran from that, and so they advanced a little bit more. And then they took all the plunder that was there. Great experience. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. And they were crushed before the Lord and his forces. And the men of Judah carried off large amounts of plunder. Ooh, great story. Great story. So here we go. We're going to read from verse 1 in chapter 16. If you don't have an app or um, the Bible, it's on the screen for you. In the 36th year of Asar's reign, Bashar, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent any leaving or entering the territory of Asar's king, Asar's king of Judah. So, okay, the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah, the king of Israel, he's upset, actually, because a number of his own people were starting to go, hey, we don't like living under your kingship. We're going to go south. We're going to live under Asar. And so... King of Israel goes, hey, we've got we to stop that up. We've got to dam that up. We're not letting that happen. And then Asar, seeing this push that was coming from the north, he took the silver and the gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and even out of his own palace, and he sent it to Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. So here's another king. Uh, uh, let's bring a third king into the picture. And so now he's like, all right, these guys are pushing in on us. Israel's coming. Let's, let's take all of our resource base and let's, let's do a deal with these guys over here because they're mighty and strong and we can engage their services to help us conquer these guys. And he goes to them and he says, Let there be a treaty between me and you as there was between my father and your father. You see, now he's reflecting back to that other story I told you about in 14 about how... Um, how, uh, you know, the Cushites came. So he's reflecting back on that. He says, hey, um, see, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Bashar, the king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. International politics, eh? So Ben-Hadad agreed with the king of Assad and king Assar and sent commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered Lejon, Dan, Abel, Miam, uh, Maim and all of the store cities of Naphtali. And when Bashar heard this, he stopped up, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. And then King Asar brought all of the men of Judah and they carried away from Ramah all of the stones and the timber that Bashar had been using. And with them, he went and built up Geber and Mizpah, his other towns in his own kingdom. And at that time, so he's had a victory. <laughs> he's had a victory. He's thinking, oh, yeah, we got it. We got it done. At that time, Hanani, the seer, 
came to visit King Asar. Now, in the Old Testament, when the prophets came to visit, you usually shook at the knees. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay. Because the prophets or the seers, they were the ones who carried the voice of the Lord. And so they came. So this guy comes to, to the king, Asar, and he says, because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has actually escaped your hand. And he reflects back. He says, we're not the Cushites and the Libyans, a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen. And yet you relied on the Lord and he delivered them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord. Now, this is keynote, highlight. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to not hum, but him. You have done a foolish thing. How's that? The prophet of God rocks up and says, you have done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. Wow. Asar, well, this is his response. Look at his response. Asar was angry with the prophet, with the seer, because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. Now, we think that's a pretty terrible act on Asar's part. But how many times, or have we even ever, when the voice of the Lord has come to us as we have prayed, and he has said, this I want you to do for me. Trust me in this. And we've chosen because we haven't liked that, and it's pushed a button in us, and we've actually, what we've done is we've conveniently turned a deaf ear to the voice of the Lord, which the net effect of that is we are locking down and putting in prison the very voice that's trying to lead us into life and wholeness and fruitfulness. How many times our simple, oh, I don't want to hear that. Or it may have been as full-blown as no, Lord. And we have locked down and put away and put in prison the very voice of God that has come to give us life and freedom and joy in, in the things of the kingdom of God. I mean, that's a sobering moment that's taking place right here. And it should be a sobering moment for us at the start of this year, where it's a good time a really good time to just say, God, I am so, so sorry for locking down your voice to my life. I am so, so sorry where I've done the foolish thing. And note there the emotional response of Asar. Emotions are a good indicator on our relationship health. Asar said he was enraged. He was angry that God would actually speak like this to him. Have you ever gotten angry at God? Like not just angry, but enraged. And but but look how look how in the next sentence that anger is manifested and where it's directed. He says, at the same time, Asar brutally oppressed some of his own people. Isn't it interesting when you are full of anger, when you are unhappy with the way that God's actually inviting you into a whole life and you want to rely on your own measures and not his and his ways and his plans and our life all of a sudden starts to spin just a little off, just a little off 
and a little bit more and then things get a little sour, things get a little tougher and then all of a sudden we get angry about everything and who do we take it out on? Those that are nearest us, the ones we love. We take it out on. We spill our oppressive anger out on our children in a moment of rage or our spouse in a moment of rage or, or, or our church family in a moment of rage or our political leaders in a moment of rage all because we haven't said yes, Lord, and acted on it. And then we make someone else pay. That's what Asar's doing right here. He's making someone else pay for his foolishness. Remember what I said last week, folks? This is not a year where we're going to pray on each other. This is a year where we're going to pray for each other. Remember that. When we pray on each other, we're coming out of our brokenness, our pain, our, our shutting down and pushing away the invitations of God. Let's do it differently with the help of the Holy Spirit this year. So picking up on the story again, the events of Asar's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, so he's had a good long reign, Asar was afflicted with disease in his feet. Should be... Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only the physicians. Now, the Lord has got nothing against physicians. <laughs> he loves physicians. But it was here that he was so angry and so um, had so shut down the invitation from God to his life that in a moment of great sickness and affliction that was manifesting in his feet, in his health, knowing that God could heal him, he would not go to God. He would only go to the physician. And yet, um, it actually says then a little bit further on, then in his 41st year of his reign, Asar died and rested with his fathers. What killed him? Well, I think it was the affliction of, on his feet. I think it was some sort of affliction that just riddled his body that was born all out of the journey of saying, no, God, I'll do it my way. Now, some, that may be a... I, I, I need to let you know that Asar is not a... You know, he's not one of the bad guys, he started his rule and reign wonderfully as a king. He actually went around the whole kingdom and he tore down every demonic Asherah pole that was, had been lifted up on all of the high places of the region. He tore down all the places where the pagan gods were worshipped and children were sacrificed to, to other gods. He tore it all down, even, even to his grandmother's line. He went back through there and said, you've got to stop that. And he tore down that all out of the, the heritage of his family line. This was a king who had the heart of God and he was about the, about the father's business, tearing all that down and establishing God as king again. And he did a great job of that for a long time. And he saw the, he saw the, the kindness and the breakthrough power of God many, many times. And yet, and yet, in this one time, he chose to rest on his own resources and his own capacities and to do deals. And in the middle of all of that, opened up 
a falling away from being wholehearted towards God. It's a sobering story. But the key verse I want us to pick out here this morning is this one. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Some versions say blameless. Now, being who we are, we tend to read that morally. We tend to read that as those whose hearts are, 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 are good and not bad or haven't sinned. That's not, that's not what it's about. That word there in the Hebrew in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 16.9 about being fully committed to God, it means fully reliant. It means I'm trusting wholly upon God. I'm, I'm investing all of my, 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 my future gain and hope. It's all on God. It's on his end. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. That's, that's what it means. It's those, those whose hearts are fully like banking on God to be God. What do we see out of this um, this scripture? Well, firstly, the, God has eyes. <laughs> Have you thought about that? God has eyes. In other words, he has great vision and capacity to see all that's going on all over his creation and even over you and I. The Psalms talk about how he watches us over our goings out and our comings in. He watches over us even when we rest and sleep. God is watching over us, but he's not watching over us to trick us up. He's not watching over us with the posture of, let's see if they get it wrong or right. He's watching over us with the posture of affirmation, with the posture of, yes, come on, keep making that right, right decision, that, that unfoolish choice, that healthy way of life of listening to me, of, of choosing me over other things. God, in the midst of the spiritual contest that we've all entered for 2017, is his eyes are watching over us so that he can bring his kingdom to us because his posture is for us in Jesus Christ. He has clearly once and for all demonstrated that through Jesus. He is looking to affirm and release and bless us. In the, in the contest of the kingdoms that are at battle um, over your life, over our collective life this year, it, the battle doesn't end, and, but the posture of God is that he is for us in that battle. God not only sees us, but he is in active pursuit of us. Check those words out in that scripture. The eyes of the Lord, they range throughout the earth. What that, in other versions, that it talks about they roam um, to and fro. In other words, the eyes of God are actively moving over the earth, ranging throughout the earth. God is not passively like sitting on on you know, uh, throne, throne kingdom, just with his eyes closed, having a snooze. No, the eyes of God are actively engaged, moving through the whole earth, looking, 
Jesus' words in John 5, 17, I said before, my father is always at work and I too am at work, Jesus said. And Jesus on, you know, in that little few verses on, he says, and I only do what I see my father doing. That kept him busy. He wasn't, you know, looking for spare time. Just keeping up with what the father was showing him kept Jesus full, full time and busy. <laughs> Just doing what the eyes of God were showing him that he was doing. God is in active pursuit of us. I had a terrible dream last night. Um, and in this dream, I was with a group of people that I knew. And um, we were at some kind of like, um, like market, some kind of trade show. It, wa- it was very busy, very cramped, very hot. Um, and just thousands of people just all jammed in. You know, going, it was, I don't know if you've ever been to a market like that where it's all just full and busy and hot and dusty. And I was with this group, and we, we as a group, we decided that um, um, we were going to go from this part of the market to that part of the market. And we were going to go just, we were going to go over there because we had some things to do over in that part of the market. And along the way, we, we start off down the, you know, going from point A to point B at the markets, and just maybe, I don't know, a couple hundred metres into the market, the journey, I just said, hey, listen, I just need to go and do a few things. I'm going to go, I'll get, I'll, I'm going to join you. I'll, I'll get there with you, but I've got to go this way. And so then I, then I started to trek off by myself. And as I was trekking off by myself, all of a sudden, I realised there was this anxiety growing in my chest. There was this, Hang, hang, hang on a minute, hang, hang on a minute. And before I knew it, I was in a, a place of panic because I had become separated. Because I had become separated. And in becoming separated, I found that I was lost from my group of friends that I was walking through the markets with. And it was a terrible dream. I was like, I woke up literally with my chest like thumping and wasn't quite sweat on the brow, but it was like I was, I was worn out from the dream emotionally because I was like, God, that is such a, that's such a terrible feeling to feel that sense of separation, that sense of lostness. But here in this account of Asar, his experience is that he is lost. He's lost. Just by making a few simple choices, he ends up being lost. God isn't lost. God is in pursuit of Asar. God is in pursuit of you and me. God is watching over us. God is actively in pursuit of us. He's ranging the whole earth looking for us to give himself. The next part of that scripture is to give him, it says, to strengthen those whose hearts are committed to him. God wants to bring his strength to our life. This is why he's ranging through the earth. This is why he's looking over you. This is why he's looking for you is because he's wanting to bring his empowerment to the things that he has whispered to your heart to say, come on, we're going to do this kingdom work in 2017. We're going to do this personally. We're going to do this as a part of a local church. We're going to do this as a part of bigger movement. We're going to do this thing. And God's been whispering it to you. God's been speaking it to you. God's been inviting you into it. 
come on, he's saying, I want to bring my strong support, one of the other uh, translations says that it is. Remember, Asar was at war, and God's response was to look over him, look toward him, and to bring the strong support like he had historically done before. Friends, wake up and revisit your story of the strength of God to you. Revisit it. Forget not the ways of the Lord. He has been kind and generous and powerful and forgiving and merciful and healing and delivering and true and honest and faithful. And he's only ever sought to bring empowerment and strength to us when he's whispered to us, come, let's walk this way together and you can have life and fullness of life therein. Not just a life, a full life. Are you feeling empowered right now? Would you describe at the start of this year my Christian um, experience, my discipleship experience with Jesus is one of I am living empowered or are we living lost, still angry, shutting down the voice of God? I know I'm poking here at some, you know, some stuff. But the grace of God is here to bring his empowering to our life so that we no longer need to live these lives of anger and shutting down God and ending up feeling lost and separated, but that we might find family in God, we might find empowering in God, we would have fellowship with God and each other and so tell the world a whole other story than one of living isolated and lost. I don't want to live a lost life. That's why Jesus interrupted me. <laughs> he came and made himself known to me because he could see I was lost. And I'm so thankful that he did. But Hananiah the prophet, he says, God is looking to give his strong support. That's the nature of his love. His strong support. Not just a cast off, not just a, a bit. His strong support. That historically in this account, that strong support delivered a nation from the work of an invading kingdom. Jesus wants to give us strong support because he knows that we are in a context of great spiritual contest where the kingdom of darkness is pushing in and hard and relentlessly and all the time. And in fact, if we remember in that story just a little bit, one of the tragedies of that story, apart from Asar's demise, it says that the king that was coming against him escaped. In other words, Asar did not have victory over the, over the oppressive work of the onslaught of the enemy king that was coming against him. How often are we having to fight the battles that God has sought to give us victory once and for all, and we keep on going back, and we keep on going back, and we keep on going back and fighting these battles because we've forgotten to rely on who our God is and we're still trying to do it our own way. Be set free for God's sake. Let's be a people who are set free. Let's live free. Man, this is why Jesus came as king. To bring freedom, my goodness. Whoa. 
Who are you trusting on this year? Who are you trusting in? You're trusting in that next paycheck? You're trusting in that, I don't know, whatever it is, anything other than Jesus? <laughs> what are we trusting in? Yeah, here's a bit of a list. Are my own abilities to make things happen? Strength or capacity to influence others to make me feel good so it turns out in my favour? That's called manipulation, people. It's actually fueled by a demon called witchcraft. Finances, are you leaning on finances? Yeah, if I can just have a few more bucks, I know, well, that'll be right. No. Are you leaning on your academic achievements? I'm not saying any of these things, academic achievement is not, not poor or wrong or bad. Uh, having the strength to influence people for the kingdom of God is, is good. Having finances that are attributed to us by the kindness and the provisions of God for his greater glory is the way we choose to spend them for the sake of his name and the well-being of people. Amen. Academic achievement, we need intellectual people. We need people who can argue ferociously in our universities, in our places of of government and legislation. We need people with sharp minds and people who have got fantastic capacity to bring apologetics to argue with the arguments of this world and declare that God is good and he's righteous and he's a great king and he's faithful. We need the intellects. Intellectualism is not bad. It just needs to be like all these other things yielded to the lordship of Jesus for his greater glory and there's life therein for all. What about the affections? If I can just win the affections of them then maybe I, I know I'll be all right. Well, maybe if they'll just, that, that group there, if they'll just accept me, maybe I need to get a new, I don't know, pair of shoes so I look bright to get into that group. Whatever. I'm making a joke of that. But, you know, but that's the way we operate. That's the way we think. What are we leaning on? Are, we, are there aspects of our life where we do feel lost, where we are angry? Friends, how are we when the pressure is on? Because like the enemy, when he pushed back from Asar at that time, like the enemy, Jesus says in the scriptures, the enemy uh, um, withdraws until an opportune time. See, it wasn't the end of the wars. It says there at the end of that chapter, Asar was always at war. So the enemy came again and again and again and again. And so the enemy will do this. He will come again. Our spiritual enemy, Satan himself and all his minions, they are mobilized, they are busy, they are active, and they're going to come again and again and again until we find victory in those areas that he's coming against. Jesus wants us to listen to his voice and follow him. King Osar's demise was that he knew God to be a God who was constantly looking, constantly good, and constantly strong toward him. But he didn't trust in him. He wasn't given to him. Asar's decision to move his reliance away from the covenant of trust that was established between God and, and the people, that covenant of, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, I will defend, I will prosper, and I will bless you. When they chose to walk away from that covenant, God held up his end and thankfully fulfilled that covenant fully in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But friends, the demise comes when we don't trust the work of God 
through Jesus. Asa's story was he lost peace, he became angry, he became sick, he became an oppressor of people rather than those one who gave life. Loyalty. Are we tired of feeling these senses of lostness? In 2017, the Father of our Lord Jesus wants to bring his strong support to our life together as a church family. Strong support. Like, get out of the way (laughs) to all of the stuff that's in the way because God is coming. And 2017, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ wants to bring his strong support to our personal life as well. God wants to bring his kingdom for all that he has for us. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed or wholeheartedly given over, relying upon God. 